Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole, Ruth, and Nate for leading us tonight. And thank you all for being here and worshiping tonight. And for those of you that are worshiping from your homes, we certainly glad you've joined us as well. Genesis chapter 7 tonight, continuing our series through the book of Genesis. And tonight's the flood. Sort of parallels what we're talking about with Job, because Job's certainly going through a flood in his own life. A lot, of, a lot of disasters happening here, huh? But as Nicole prayed, God brings us through these things if we trust him to do so. And we're going to see that again tonight. In this chapter, I see God's invitation, God's instructions, and God's insurance to Noah. God's invitations to Noah, God's instructions to Noah, and God's insurance to Noah. First of all, Notice in chapter 7, verse 1, that it is Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D, the covenant name for God, the relational name for God, spoke to Noah. Because God is all about a relationship. He's all about speaking into our lives. And when it came to this point in the story of Noah, notice the divine invitation. The Lord says, come into the ark, you and all your household, for I consider you godly among this generation. Notice, even after Noah constructed the ark, that he waited on the direction and leading of God to come into the ark. He didn't go into the ark until God invited him in. Another thing we need to see is that God did not force Noah to go into the ark. He invited him to come into the ark. This is significant because this is the first invitation in the Bible. And there are almost 2,000 invitations in the Bible, most of them coming from God to men. Some of them to those that don't know him to come into a relationship with him. But most of them are invitations to his own people to join him in something, to partner with him. Which goes back to last week where God made a covenant with Noah. And it was a relational covenant. It was, I want you to enter into a partnership with me. Noah, and I want you to trust me that I will bring you through the judgment to come. So the first thing we see is God's invitation. Come into the ark. How can we apply this to our lives today? Well, what may God be inviting you to do right now with him? Is God asking you to join him in something or to partner with him in something? Again, almost 2,000 invitations in the Bible, most of them from God to us. God is always inviting his people to join him or partner with him in something. And this is no different. He says to Noah, come into the ark. Now let's talk about the ark for a second. 
we're not going to go into all the schematics of the ark and all of that. If you get a chance like Jill to go down to Kentucky sometime, I believe that's where it's at, right? And to actually tour the ark. It is a reproduction of the actual ark. It is well worth going to see. An amazing thing. But we're not going to get into so much of that, but I do want to emphasize this about the ark. A couple things. The ark is a picture of God's sufficient provision for Noah and his family to basically survive and be preserved through the flood that is coming, okay? The word comes from Egyptian origin, and I sort of hinted at that last week. Moses would have probably smiled when writing about the ark because it was very similar to the concept of the basket that his mother set him in and set him on down the Nile. It literally means a box or a chest. In fact, to the Egyptians, they even used this word to describe a coffin or a sarcophagus. That's all it was. And so you note something about the ark when you think through this. God did not design the ark for anything other than just to keep Noah and his family alive and keep all the animals and all of that safe and get them through. It wasn't designed for speed. It wasn't a speedboat. It wasn't designed to sail around the world or anything like that. It didn't have any sails on it. It was simply designed to float on top of the water and just keep everybody safe. It reminds us of a couple things. One, when God provides, he provides very specifically. He, he doesn't provide things that don't need to be provided. God is not into the frills and fluff. When God gives us something to provide for us in our lives, it meets the requirements exactly, no less and no more, you see. And the other thing then that you and I have to like consider here is that Noah had to trust that this box, this ship, this big boat that he built for himself, his family, and all the animals would be sufficient. Would be sufficient. And doesn't it remind us of all of the other provisions of God, especially the provision of salvation? God says, I have provided a perfect Savior for you that can take care of your sin and bring you into right relationship with me. But like Noah, every human being has to first know the need of that provision and then trust that it is sufficient to save and just like the ark christ is our ark he is who was made available to us so that we could go through and not face judgment that he would bring us through it is a reminder to trust Whatever the provision of God is, no matter how 
uncanny or crazy it might seem, if God has provided it, then it will be sufficient. And Noah obviously had to trust all those years that he was following the Lord's leading and direction in building it and how to build it and all the different rooms and all the logistics and all that. And by the way, Noah had to prepare ahead of time. He couldn't wait till the flood came and then just throw everybody and everything into the ark. That wasn't going to work. He had to do a lot up front to make it all possible. You and I, many times, we, we have to do things before it actually gets there. It's actually too late. We, we've got to go through some preparation. Can you imagine the logistics of just, not only just forget the animals even, they were on the ark for over a year. Total. Just think of all the provision that Noah and his family had to have for a whole year. Much less all the animals. Crazy, right? And then God says, come into the ark, you and all your household, for I consider, I see, literally, in the Hebrew, that you are godly. You are aligned with me, and you stand out in your generation. We've talked about this. Noah, the only person of faith on the entire planet at this time. Boggles the mind, doesn't it? Again, if you and I ever feel like we're alone, <laughs> think of Noah. Here was a man of faith that stood alone, literally, in his world, in his generation. Then we come to God's instructions to Noah. He says, you must take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, the male and its mate, two of every kind of unclean animal, the male and its mate. By the way, this sort of blows the childhood version of Noah's Ark, right? Two by two? No, God said, if it's clean, you've got to take more than that. Why? Because, again, God was setting up Noah and his provision ahead of time for what God knew would be needed that those clean animals were also going to be used not just to procreate in the new world, not just maybe for food for Noah and his family, they were going to be used for sacrifice. In fact, you see this. Just turn over to chapter 8, look at verse 20, a verse we'll look at more in detail next week. When Noah got off the ark in 820, Noah built an altar to the Lord. He then took some of every kind of clean animal and clean bird offered burnt offerings on the altar because unclean animals were not permitted for offering to the Lord. So that's why God said to Noah in his instructions, take extra clean animals because you're going to need them for sacrifice, which also then is sort of an assurance that I'm going to get you through and you're going to be coming out on dry ground and you're going to be offering me sacrifices when you come. Notice again, too, God is always speaking to his people about things that they need to do ahead of time if they're listening to him for what they don't even know is coming yet and providing sometimes ahead of time. One of the great biblical examples I see of this, and I use it often, I apologize for it, but it's just such a good example, is when the wise men came and gave their gifts to the baby Jesus and to Joseph and Mary because 
they didn't realize that because of Herod, they were going to then, instead of going back home, they were going to have to go to Egypt and hide out for a couple of years. And yes, Joseph was a carpenter, and he could maybe earn a little money as a carpenter even in Egypt, but those gifts were going to be used to sustain that family in a foreign country for a couple of years before they could get back home. God sees all that and provides those things if we're paying attention ahead of time, just as he's doing here. Verse 3, and he also said, seven of every kind of bird in the sky, male and female, again, to preserve, to keep them alive, to sustain their offspring on the face of the earth. That was God. God is a preserver. He is a sustainer. And he not only did that with Noah and his family and all those animals that went on the ark, he does it with us too. He provides for us and he will preserve us. He will not keep us necessarily from trials, as we're obviously seeing in Job's life, and he will not necessarily keep us from floods like Noah, but he will get us through them, through them. That's the way God mainly delivers, not around, not taking it away, but giving his people what they need to get through life's challenges and situations. We are to be, as I say, a through people. They went through the Red Sea. They went through the Jordan River. God is always taking his people through things, not only to strengthen us, but to show others the strength that God can supply is sufficient to get us through anything that life will bring. And, you know, I don't know about you, but if you do trust the Lord, you know we're never going to face a worldwide flood ever again. Verse 4, for in seven days I will cause it to rain on the earth. I'm going to send rain. For 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the ground every living thing that I have made. Noah never saw rain. He didn't even know what rain was, which again shows his faith. He was walking by Faith, not by sight. What are you doing, God? I don't totally understand. We talked about that on Sunday. We won't always understand the things that God does, but God will reveal all that we need in order to get through the things that are coming. And Noah responds, as we said last week, verse 5, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Our challenge is to do what is ours to do following God's leading and direction. No less, because Noah did all, but no more either. Don't take more on than what God is leading and directing you and I to do. His yoke is easy. His burden is light, meaning it's well-fitted. God will not ask us to do something that he has not equipped us for and, and created us for and called us to and all of that. God will make sure that whatever he's asking of us, that we have the sufficient tools and all of that to be able to accomplish it. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters engulfed the earth. Yay. Makes me feel very young, 600, wow. 
Now I realize, to a degree, we can't even equate what was that to our age today, obviously. They lived a lot longer pre-flood, and they were in a different world pre-flood and all of that, but still, still, 600 years, that's a long time. And Noah entered the ark, trusting that God's provision was sufficient to save, along with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives because of the floodwaters. Pairs of clean animals, of unclean animals, of birds, and of everything that creeps along the ground, male and female, came into the ark to Noah. Again, remember from last week, God brought all the animals to Noah, which again, wasn't on Noah to go out and gather all the animals to come into the ark. God was going to draw all those animals that he wanted on the ark to Noah. Noah's responsibility was build the ark and be a herald of righteousness and of my judgment to come. You do that, we're good, Noah. I don't need you to do any more. That's enough. I'll bring the animals to you. You make provision for the animals as you build the ark, but I'll bring them to you. And after seven days, the floodwaters engulfed the earth. Can you imagine? It's like seven days, and then the world's going to never be the same ever again. In fact, in verses 11 through verse 16, they're pretty much just a recap of chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And you go, why would God want all of this pretty much repeated? Well, because the reiterations from God are very deliberate and highly effective. They emphasize two things. First of all, they emphasize God's careful provision. God is carefully looking out over all things and giving attention to all things and giving Noah all the directions and leading that Noah needs to, again, get him and his family and all the animals on the ark and keep them safe through the flood. But the other thing of why it's repeated is because it is sort of heightening the fact that there's a crisis coming and it's steadily approaching. Whether all those people on the world just sort of like dismiss it like flood, yeah, right. There's not gonna be any flood. The judgment is coming and it's just sort of marching towards it day after day after day. And now we're down to the last seven days of dry ground before God brings the worldwide flood. I parallel that to where we're at. You know, the Bible says one day things are going to change. The king of kings is going to come. Judgment is coming. He's coming not as the lamb to take away the sin of the world. This time he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judgment's coming. And you think about it, just like Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when the Son of Man returns. Just like in the days of Noah, most of the people in the world just, ah, that's a bunch of 
That's craziness. You Christians are crazy. Following your God and believing that things are ever going to change and that, you know, your God's going to come back and set up an earthly kingdom and all that. That's just craziness. Well, we'll see. Because just like in Noah's day, one day it did all change. Judgment is coming, my friends. Are we ready for it like Noah was ready for it? Have we entered into the ark of safety, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we trusting in God's sufficient provision to get us through the judgment to come? Well, the Bible says on that day, what day? The 17th day of the month, and it was the second month. And this will come into play next week and the week after because then if you calculate that, the exact day, then you know how many days was the flood, how many days did it take for the water to recede, and all of that. And we'll get to that not only tonight, but in the days, and how long then Noah and his family were on the ark. But notice also, it tells us in verse 11 and verse 12, three different sources for the floodwaters. And this is repeated over in chapter 8, verse 2. First of all, God said the water was going to come from the fountains of the great deep. And God, in a sense, then brought water up from the ground. Then it said the windows or the floodgates of the heavens were open. There was a canopy over the earth at that time to prevent ultraviolet light from coming in and many other things. That's why the climate was so much better. That's why people lived longer. There, there was all kinds of different things. It, it, it wasn't the extremes like it is today of extreme heat and extreme cold and high humidity and all of that. It was much more controlled environment and God broke that up. So there was water coming from that. And then verse 12 says, and then the third source of the water, the rain fell. Three that's why it's like, it wasn't just rain. It came from the ground, it came from the canopy, and it came from the sky. And it did rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And on that very day, verse 13, Noah entered the ark accompanied by his sons, his wife, and his son's wives. They entered along with every living creature of its kind, every animal after its kind, every creeping thing, every bird, and all of that. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life came into the ark to Noah. Those that entered were male and female, just as God commanded them. But notice, it was only them. Think about the sobering nature of what's going on here. I want us to try to put ourselves in Noah and his family's place. Noah has spent a hundred or so years building this sufficient provision for his family. It is finished. God has drawn the animals here. Noah is leading his family into this ark, but no one else is joining him. He has preached for at least 100 years. God has given more than enough time for people to respond to the message of Noah that's coming through Noah. 
that one can be right with God by faith, but you must trust his provision. Get on this ark because judgment is coming and it will wipe out everything on the earth. And no one else came on that boat. Now, one of the things I've always told you that I take heart in as a pastor, and you should too, even as a Christian, in dealing with other people is that God never held Noah responsible for their response. That wasn't on Noah. All Noah was being held responsible for by God was to do all that God commanded him to do and be responsible for. He never was responsible for all the no's. No, no, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm not getting on the boat. And that's true of us too. All God says is share the message. Let your light shine before men. Be salt and light. But I will never hold you responsible if those around you do not respond to your witness, to your testimony, to the evidence that you're giving. That's very freeing. That means all we need to concentrate on is being who we need to be and let the results up to God. And that was true of Noah because Noah's in the hall of fame of faith. God commended Noah. In fact, God said he was a great preacher. You know how good that makes a preacher's heart feel whenever it's like, that guy never got one person to convert. <laughs> and yet God thought he was a great preacher. So often in our modern day and age, it's all about results and how many people came forward and responded and, and, and all of this. And you know what? That's between people and God. All we can do is share the message, share the hope we have, share our salvation and our Savior with others, and then that's between them and God. And that's certainly true of Noah. Also notice this, though. We've talked about God's invitation to Noah. We've talked about God's instructions to Noah. Now I want you to see God's insurance to Noah. And this goes along even with our worship tonight so well. Those that entered the ark, verse 16, were male and female, just as God commanded him. Notice that word, God, Elohim. But then notice the switch of the titles for God is significant in the rest of the verse. Then the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, shut him in. Why the switch? Because Lord is the covenant name for God, the relational name for God. And that is speaking then in a very powerful way of two things. One, God is saying, you come in, and when I shut the door in, you're in here with me. You've come into the ark, and oh, by the way, I'm in here too. So you're coming in with me into the ark. Because we're going to do this together. Noah did not have to walk alone, even through the floodwaters. God was going to be there with him as the covenant relational God on that ark the whole time he and his family were on that boat. And secondly, God is saying, Noah, you don't have to be the one to carry the responsibility of shutting the door on everyone else. I'll do that. 
Because in a sense, humanly speaking, would we maybe not ever want to shut the door? Like, well, I'll, I'll leave it open because maybe somebody will run in at the last minute, you know. So God said, I'll take care of that. That's on me. But even in that, remember who this is. This is the creator of all these people who are going to die in the flood. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is hurting his heart as God to shut that door and wipe out everyone on the earth. But he does it because he needs to start over again. As we saw last week, the earth has become so corrupted that it would not last as long as it needs to. So God's got to start over again with Noah and his family. And God gave people plenty of time and plenty of witness, but they weren't interested. So God shut the door and shut him in with him in that ark. Verse 17, the flood engulfed the earth for 40 days. As the waters increased, they lifted the ark and raised it above the earth. And the waters completely overwhelmed the earth. Notice that the great increase of the water parallels the great increase of sin. Back in chapter 6, verse 5, let me read this. The Lord saw the wickedness of humankind had become great on the earth. Every inclination of the thoughts of their minds was only evil all the time. The evil was parallel to the flood waters. And that's why God had to bring a worldwide flood. The waters completely inundated the earth, a clear indication of a worldwide flood, so that even all the high mountains under the entire sky were covered. The waters rose more than 20 feet above the highest Mountains. Yep, that's worldwide. And if you even doubt that it was worldwide, then look at these statements from verse 21 through 23. Because God doesn't lie. In verse 21, all living things, not some, all living things that moved on the earth died. Look at verse 22. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Verse 23. The Lord destroyed every living thing. Boom. All gone. I've told you, I think, this story before. One of the neat things about growing up in my little hometown in western Maryland, up in the mountains of western Maryland, is back in the late 1800s, they discovered what they named eventually the Cumberland Bone Cave. It is a cave that I had went in as a kid, high up on the, in the Allegheny Mountains there, just outside my hometown. It was probably a 15-minute drive from where I grew up. In that cave were bones of animals from all over the earth. Animals that only existed in Asia and Africa and all these other places. How did the bones of those animals get in a cave in Western Maryland all deposited together. You explain that other than a worldwide flood. And can I tell you, there's 
places like that all around the world. The evidence is there. God's word is true. But think about it. Think about how Noah and his family felt as they saw probably people drowning outside the ark. Probably people screaming and all of that. And yet, they could have gotten on the ark just like Noah and his family. But they chose the world over God's sufficient provision. If anything, the story of the flood should cause us to be so thankful that we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. That we have an ark of safety and that we've trusted in God's sufficient provision and that we don't sit here or stand here tonight worried about, oh, I don't know, I, maybe God's still going to hold my sin against me. No, no, no. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sin is gone forever and ever. Never again to be thrown up in your face. God will never remember it anymore. It has been nailed to the cross along with Jesus. A couple other things before we close tonight. Do you know what Noah was really known for? I mean, seriously. I mean, you could say, well, building the ark or the flood, whatever. But really, if you boil down Noah... What was Noah known for? It's found in verse 23 in two words. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark survived. You know what Noah really was? A survivor. That's what he was. He was a survivor. He survived the flood. And I say that to encourage us. Because sometimes all that we need to do in life at times is simply survive. Just stay afloat. Keep trusting in God's sufficient provision and just survive. I mean, Paul, in a sense, sort of says the same thing to us about spiritual warfare. He doesn't keep saying, hey, when you're getting attacked, take more ground and keep running ahead. No, he says, just stand there. And just withstand everything that Satan and, and his demonic forces are throwing at you. And just don't back up. Hold your ground and wait till that attack is over and then start moving ahead again. But just, just stand there. Just take your stand and just survive it and then keep moving forward. And I, I say that to encourage us because it's okay sometimes just to survive something. Just to get through Maybe you don't think that's a big deal. Yes, it is. Because that is the one thing, if you will, that Noah was known for, is he was just simply a survivor. And you and I can be too. When we trust whatever God is providing for us in each and every one of life's challenges and obstacles and situations, we can survive it. We can get through it. As difficult as it might be, and we're certainly seeing that in the life of Job, we can get through as long as we keep holding on to God. It also says in verse 24, the waters prevailed over the earth for 150 days, 40 days of rain and 110 more days for the water to begin to recede. And that's, again, that's not the, all the time Noah was on the ark. That is simply 
the time of the water, if you will. It took a lot more time then for Noah finally for that ark to rest on dry ground and for Noah and his family to get off, and we'll talk about that next week. I'd like you to turn with me in closing, though, to the book of 1 Peter. I thought this was really cool because we're coming up on baptism, right? And Peter makes a reference to Noah and parallels what Noah went through with the ark and the flood and baptism. I want to begin reading in 1 Peter 3.18. Peter says, Because Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, to bring you to God, in a sense. He's God's ark, right? By being put to death in the flesh, but being alive in the spirit, in it he went and preached to the spirits in prison after they were disobedient, Long ago, notice, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah as an ark was being constructed, as bad as it was, God was patient for Noah to build the ark. In the ark, a few, that is eight souls, were delivered, notice these next two words, not by water, but through water. Then notice verse 21. And this prefigured, or another word you could use there, foreshadows baptism, which now saves you. But Peter understands, oh, I'm not talking about baptismal regeneration, as some people think, like you've got to be baptized to be saved. No, no, no. He says it's not the washing off of physical dirt, but it is the pledge of a good conscience to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who went into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels and authorities and powers subject to him. What is he teaching here about baptism? I think it's one of the clearest pictures of baptism. Baptism is a symbolic expression of the heart's appeal to God. Baptism is a calling on God. We are trusting God to take us into Christ like Noah was taken into the ark, to bring us through the waters of judgment and into new life. That's what baptism is. And it is not the act of baptism that saves us, as Peter said. But it is a very important step of obedience to those who want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, once they are on the road to knowing me as their Savior, if they want to follow me as a disciple, they need to be baptized. They need to publicly identify themselves as trusting in me, God's ark, God's sufficient provision to save. Calling on God. What a great picture God gave us through the story of Noah. And again, I can't help but think of how impacted Moses was as he wrote this looking back when God revealed all this to them. 
of how similar an experience Moses had during the Passover. When God and the death angel came through Egypt and all the firstborn died, except those who trusted in God's sufficient provision of placing the blood on the doorpost and lentil. See, this is a pattern with God, right? You see it throughout the Bible. God says, yes, judgment is coming. But if you trust in my sufficient provision, I'll get you through. And God wants you and I, his people, to feel the same way today. Yes, things are happening. And trials and tribulations and challenges and all these things. But in, at every turn, God will provide sufficient provision to get us through if we simply trust and enter into that provision. That's been the way God has been from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, even to this day as well. So I want to encourage you tonight. If you're in Christ, <laughs> you're in the safest place you can be. And there is no safer, more secure, more stable place you can be than in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust God's sufficient provision for your life. Father, we thank you tonight for the great reminders we've seen through the life of Noah and the flood. God, how you can be trusted to provide, to protect, to preserve. How, God, if we would just simply trust in what you're saying to us and revealing to us and directing in our lives, God, we'll, we'll come through if we just hold on to you. So, Lord, I pray tonight that, God, we will remember that you're with us every step of the way and that we never walk alone in this life. So, Lord, may we be encouraged to go home tonight and just rest in you tonight and get a good night's rest and wake up tomorrow going, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to face today, the rest of this week, this month, or this year, but I know this. You're going to be enough for me, and you're going to get me through no matter what it is. I'm going to trust in you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see